We are Taking the Helm with risk takers who are motivating us to take charge and make things happen with your host, Lynn McLaughlin. Good day, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Taking the Helm. Our guest today suffered a crisis because of her own daughter's illness, and she put her own life on pause. Anna Pennenberg is the author of Dancing in the Narrows. She brilliantly chronicles a multi-year journey because at the age of 16, her youngest daughter, Dana, was struck with a mysterious and debilitating condition. In excruciating pain, Dana became completely dependent on her mother. Desperate to find a diagnosis and later a cure, like any of us would be as a parent, Anna was thrust into the medical world and far beyond with her daughter. Full of adventure, humor, and blind faith in her book, Anna tells her inspiring story of self-discovery and, as a single mother, how she fought to save the life of her child. Welcome to our podcast, Anna. Thank you. So thrilled to have you here today. Let's start by taking us back into a moment in time where your life took that pivot, that detour that was totally unexpected. Well, I was a single mom and um, I have two daughters. My youngest seemed like she came down with the flu and uh, she never got better. So it was, you know, okay, maybe it's a 16 year old with, with mono. That was her first diagnosis. And she just kept getting worse. Her labs looked fine. Nobody thought she had anything except let her rest for a month or two if it's mono and she'll get better. Um, you know, and the doctor gave her some IV vitamins to perk her up. And we were kind of doing that for a while. And after two months, and she, she couldn't even really go to school. So 10th grade, second semester, and she was missing. And um, we just finally went, you know, then we went to the infectious disease doctor and so on and on. We finally figured out with all these diagnoses that weren't really hitting the mark, uh, we'd have to figure it out on our own. And so that became the beginning of the journey, which, you know, in my mind was always going to be like another week or two or maybe a month. And it just stretched on its uh, to at least 10 years. It's been 12 now and she's, she's doing very well, but uh, many, many years on the couch and a lot of pain. And if you look up chronic Lyme disease, you'll see there are many, many symptoms in all sorts of systems in your body and neurological and you know head pain and swelling and all kinds of stuff so there was just a big journey with lots of symptoms and discomforts and even just to get through the day was an invention of uh, creativity now, Lyme disease was first discovered in the 80s. Can you, Anna, please share with us some of the symptoms that uh, your daughter first experienced prior to the diagnosis? So, uh, yeah, my daughter Dana started with um, just fatigue and achiness and um, not feeling like getting out of bed. And so, yeah, it seemed like she had something. But then on and on and on, the swelling was the most persistent symptom that she had over the many years. 
like body swelling all over internally. She didn't necessarily look to some doctors like she had inflammation. They would palpate her skin or whatever, and it's like, well, you're not that swollen. And that would make her very upset because she could feel the feeling. Mm -hmm. And clothes, we had clothes in different sizes because we never knew what she would wake up and feel like she could put on because sometimes the swelling was worse. And um, so that was interesting. And um, big, big headache. Uh, I think when the spirochete uh, inflammation and, um, and the infection gets deep into your nervous system, a lot of people get like a big headache, a lot of neck tension suddenly that you just can't massage away and it basically gets into your spinal fluids and um, goes to the brain. So that did happen. It, it actually happened before she looked like she was sick. Um, she complained of that for a while. And, um, and then we noticed some swelling in her feet and you know, it was just kind of odd things. And, uh, but then when she had like a lot of symptoms, um, I finally, after she'd even been tested a couple of times for Lyme disease on the sort of regular lab core kind of uh, Lyme test, Alyssa test, she, I finally got a doctor to write a prescription for Igenix lab, mm -hmm. and then it came back positive. And this was a year and a half into it. So a year and, and a half of Dana trying to figure out what is going on, you trying to figure out, grasping at every straw to, to get to a, to a conclusion. And you, you, you had a life before this diagnosis. Of course, you still had a life during it. But you, know, what, you were a dancer. Talk to us about, about you as a person, Anna, other than the mom. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I have a background in therapy, psychology. Um, I'm a psychotherapist. I was working with children and I had built a studio in my home and working with a lot of big props to get uh, children moving instead of talk therapy. It was really more of a movement and somatic approach. And um, so I had that going on, but just about when I finished the studio, Dana got sick. So I was you know, kind of managing her, but then having people come through the separate door to the studio. Mm -hmm. And I eventually uh, couldn't really take clients, but I did kept, I did keep uh, these twins that I worked with for a number of years um, who had been born prematurely. And I worked a lot with them, even while Dana was sick. Um, also, I had the, I'm also a Kundalini yoga teacher and my kids were going to a wonderful Waldorf school, high school, and our house was nearby. So they actually even had a bus that brought the kids over during school for a dance class at my studio. And um, after school, I would teach a class to the seniors, a yoga class, where I had a pile of um, sweatpants in all different colors that somebody gave me. <laughs> <laughs> girls and the boys would put on these colorful pants and do yoga mm -hmm. and uh that was really really nice even when Dana was you know sick in the other room Kayla because my older daughter her class would come and um so my my personal work practice kind of faded in view of my research um 
endeavor to find out everything I could find out about Lyme disease and um, treatments. And, you know, at that time, the uh, Lyme literate doctors were still fairly new and they were trying higher doses of antibiotics, IV, and we always thought that would that's like the big guns and we didn't want to do that, but we did ultimately because one of the doctors that we went to was very well known and, and had been treating lots of people. He basically said, you know, Dana was in the top 10 of his practice, which were thousands. Mm -hmm. And what he meant by that is she was in the top 10% of the sickest uh, people he was treating. So, um, we, we did the IV antibiotics and she actually didn't do well on them. She got even more swollen and, uh, every, and it just exacerbated her symptoms of in the sensory system. So sound and light and, um, and even the touching of her clothing on her skin was irritating. So, uh, and her breathing wasn't good. So that was our, our worst time in the whole trajectory where we had her on an oxygen generator and um and you know later on we had the next thing we did was this clinic and it was more of a holistic approach and we they ran a genetic test and some of the medicines that she had been on including the sulfur drugs were actually she genetically didn't do well with them mm. So they couldn't really do the job they might have done if they worked well. She was having reactions to them anyway. Um, so we had sort of a day when we went out to the garbage and we threw everything away into the garbage that uh, we were getting her off of. It was kind of, uh, you know, a major frustration and that was such a nice ritual for us. Oh yeah, a moment in time I can imagine. And you're very careful, Anna, to say, and, and just for our listeners as well, that all of the things, and I, I, I can't even count them on both of my hands, all of the different treatments and options that you looked for and tried with Dana. You're very careful to say that in no way, shape, or form are you recommending any of the treatments uh, because every case of Lyme disease, Lyme disease sorry, is individual. Would you just take us to a better understanding of that? I think that it's uh, it's a complex uh, series of things that uh, beset your immune system because of the spirochete bacteria. But when you get your tick bite, you might get more than just the Borrelia, which is the Lyme bacteria. You might get Dana had Babesia and Bartonella as well, mm. and those have one of them is kind of a malaria-like uh, condition, and those take other pharmaceuticals if that's the route you're going. So basically they're all happy in your system, taking down the oxygen level in your blood and penetrating uh, your nervous system into the brain. And so it becomes this complex mix of things. And that's why, you know, people can chip away at it and with a certain protocol that might work for them, but if you try it, it might not. Mm -hmm. And there's sort of no one-stop shopping for this. Um, some people do quite well on the initial protocol, which is usually doxycycline. Uh, if you know you have a tick bite, and if you have the dick, please save it. 
and send that right in to a lab like Igenix Lab. Um, they can test the tick, see what it's carrying, and then you already know that you, you know, if in fact it did bite you, you might have that. But you wouldn't be wondering about everything else. And you would you would have a clue if you had been you know inoculated with the Borrelia bacteria, mm -hmm. the Lyme bacteria. So always save the tick. That's a good way to go. And um, but just get in as fast as you can, and then they'll put you on a, a round of doxycycline for generally 28 days. Um, the cycle of birth of that bacteria is pretty long. It's like, you know, 28 to 30 days where, you know, it's kind of dormant, then it comes back and, um, and it hides and all that stuff. So you want to treat it. And a lot of people do well with that and they, they never get a full blown case. Mm -hmm. Some people, they do that. And then a year later, they're sick. So being proactive is one of the most important things we can do. How can we prevent being bit by a tick in the first place? So they recommend wearing light colors, wearing long sleeves, wearing long pants, uh, walking in the middle of the trail instead of the sides of the trail. And being aware if you're a person who's out in the wilderness, I kept taking myself back to the time with when my children were very young. My oldest is 26 right now. But when he was four months old, we, we took him camping. We're a family that walks in the woods. We do trails. We go fishing. We go boating. We camp. I mean, it is about being cautious, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, tick checks. And, um, you know, you can get some good information on the sites that are the references in my book, LymeDisease.org, etc. Uh, just check out how to uh, prevent uh, and protect yourself for from ticks. And there are some essential oils that you can use as well as the um, heavier uh, chemical stuff. I think I forget what it's called, but Premacan or something. People will spray their clothes if they uh, are avid hikers and stuff and campers. They'll They'll maybe spray their clothes and just wear that. Um, so most of their body is protected. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, take a big tick check after you've been out. And the light clothing is just mainly so you can see it. Right. And in spring, yeah. spring they're really tiny. That's the deal. Mm. People don't notice. They don't really know that's happened. They don't see it. They never saw it. They don't know. They go to the doctor. I don't feel well. And nobody knows that they've had a tick bite. So let's go back to Dana. It's a year and a half before you actually discover what it is. It is Lyme disease. You're starting to uh, try some treatments, some, uh, and our readers, uh, readers can get all of the details in the book about what worked, what worked for a little while, what was detrimental, what took her back. Take us to the path of her recovery because it was more than physical. There was much more to it, wasn't there? Yeah, there was. Um, you know, the other theme in my book is really a coming of age story. So she's 16 and these are the years that she's developing herself and trying things out, but now she's so sick. And so she, you know, she really, it was so great that we were at a Waldorf school because they're very hands-on and uh, they, they accommodated her. They let her write about what she wanted to write about in science. She did a whole exploration on the eye because at the, that point her sleep medicine was having her hallucinate. Mm. 
and she got up and gave a talk about it. Actually, she, this is how, how weak she was at that point. She, her class, you know, were people that she had been with for a long time and they, and Dana was kind of weak. So they told her she could just get on her knees. So she got on her knees and gave her report and they just cheered her on. And Aww. that was, you know, a little snapshot of, uh, how isolating it was for her and being a sort of a um, invisibly ill teenager where everybody else was up and doing and she was missing it all. Mm -hmm. And um, so very happy that we were in that community. They just adored her and accepted her. So Dana being forced to operate in isolation, really, but that wraparound support of the community, it's just so powerful, isn't it? <laughs> yes. So how is she doing today? She has taken all of her experiences that uh, were very intense for her because of her physical condition and all that she learned, including going off to college with, you know, still a very strong case of treating herself through Lyme disease and, and uh, became a dance major because she was fascinated by the somatic um, learning that she was doing and tuning into her body instead of feeling like it was the problem. And it really helped her to get to know herself and to feel uh, the movement itself actually sort of helped some of the symptoms. Um, and um, so she then came home after college and got trained in cranial sacral uh, therapy. So she's a practitioner and um, certified. And she also, in the summers while she was in college, she started a Reiki master training, Holy Fire Reiki. And uh, the woman she trained with actually had Lyme, and so she was kind of schooled by her in the ways in which she could apply this to herself. And it is more of an energy medicine. And so she worked on herself. She had this grid that she would lay down in and uh, sort of balance herself. And, and then it became part of the work she does now, which is called Integrated Energetics. And she's a Reiki and craniosacral uh, practitioner, as well as a discipline that she and I both tr got trained in, which um, has to do with the developmental um, patterning of your birth mm. uh, consequences, how you then hold and shape your life in the way that you uh, regulate yourself and deal with um, you know, conflict or whatever. And so those patterns and those um, places that we then need to go back and maybe unwind, which is kind of the language of cranial sacral, is, has, it's very helpful for people. And she's kind of like me. We like to get to the origin of the limitation that's happening for you. And, um, so she's pretty amazing. It's absolutely fascinating. Oh my goodness. And I, I, I go back and you write about it in your book. I go back to the day that Dana moved out. Like she was 
moving out this time. And I think, oh my goodness, what that, what that must've been like for you as a mother after all of those years, probably eight years or more by that point, finding a diagnosis, looking for all these treatments, her finding her way. And now she's going off on her own. Talk to us about that transformation, I guess I'll call it. It was quite a day. (laughs) Well, I can still see the car getting smaller going up the road, you know, and you know, I was talking to someone about this the other day as a, as a caretaker, you have to be all in. At least that was my approach. Mm-hmm. You can't be halfway, you know, it's a, it's a hundred percent. But in view of, you know, I was the caretaker for my daughter who was a developing young adult. And so then you have to be all out when it's time to be all out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was the independence was rough on me, not because she was growing up and moving away, but because she was driving away with all her meds and holistic stuff, but she still was in treatment and uh, was going to have to care for herself and not, uh, you know, fail when I couldn't see her. (laughs) And, you know, I did get the call and she actually went off to a a farm um, internship. It was an organic farm. She loved nature. That was one of the things that uh, you see it in my trailer. She's holding a baby goat. And, uh, you know, we had a a farm nearby and I was buying raw goat milk from them. And one day I asked if I could bring my daughter, if she could help out. And Dana really couldn't walk around that much. So she sat and pulled weeds and then she, she, she got close to the goats and she got trained in how to milk them. And you know, she just, it just helped her so much. And so she went off to this farm internship and, uh, you know, she became in charge of the CSA thing they were doing. And she was good for about, uh, you know, five hours a day. And then she, that was enough for her. And five she hours just a was, day. That's, that's amazing. Wow. Then <laughs> she just really wasn't, she was getting worse. And so we brought her home and she recovered a bit and went, and then she moved across the country. So uh, that was our that was our bumpy trajectory into independence. Um, I want to read a quote um, out of chapter two, which is pretty important: "Dancing in the Narrows," where obstacles don't have to stop you. If you run into a wall, don't turn around and give up. Figure out how to climb it, go through it, or work around it. It's a Michael Jordan quote, the beginning of chapter two. And uh, you certainly did that for for many, many, many years with your daughter, trying to find the solution and work around that problem and another problem and another problem and another problem. (laughs) So Anna, as a writer, uh, your first book, many, many years in the making, what actually caused you to stop and say, hold on a minute, there's enough here that I need to put this into a book and begin to move forward with your writing to the publishing uh, process. Was there a moment? Was there an aha? Or was it something in the back of your mind you thought you might be doing uh, later? Well, what I remember is that by the second year, I thought our life was, had gotten very derailed and I thought it was fascinating and it should, and we should document what's going on here. Mm -hmm. And so I had this like documentary idea, but I knew nothing about filming Dana had a friend who uh, he actually went on to be a good documentary filmmaker, but he was, you know, like 17 and not very uh, 
committed. And so <laughs> we didn't do it. And Dana pursued along. But I'm, I was a journal uh, writer. So I wrote every day in my journal a lot to, because I always had, but also just to keep my sanity and have a place to express where I couldn't really express everything to her and um, or to many people who didn't really understand what was happening to us. So somewhere in the third or fourth year, I was like, look at all this writing. <laughs> you know, then I kind of formed it into pieces. And then I had like a hundred pieces. Mm. And then I started looking at developing it into a, a memoir. And, um, and then the sort of structure of, of the memoir. And um, I pretty much kept writing until she was uh, home from college. Yeah. And um, the other thing that's fascinating in a little, little preview of the end uh, epilogue is that out of the blue, out of nowhere, because I'd never been on Facebook before, even though my daughter put it on my phone, I click into Facebook one morning because I was just goofing around and I was bored. And I, I opened Facebook and there was a message for me. And it was from this woman across the country who had a journal for Leslie Ann Wigger, which was my maiden name. And uh, later on, I switched my first name and my second name. So that's why it's Anna Leslie. But I was like, how could she know me? And what is she doing with my journal from when I was 11? She had a picture of it. And uh, she had bought it at a garage sale. And anyway, the magic of the magic, she, she sends it to me. And I get my journal back with all my important, it was, it was not something I wrote in every day. I just put like, you know, uh, uh, President Kennedy was shot. Oh. So this was kind of like an intense year to be mm -hmm. a kid and to be writing. And so I had some things like that in there. And um, I had a secret little thing my dad had uh, taught me about my grammar school. The uh, It was the boys yell, had a little word in it and everything. So <laughs> that was in there. And it just somehow made it kind of like a complete journey where my my earliest journal found its way back to me 50 years later oh and uh, kind of confirmed that maybe I should be publishing my memoir. <laughs> that's that's truly, in, that's very, very interesting. I think back, wow, I'm a journaler too, so I fully understand where you're coming from. I'm not sure if something showed up from when I was 11, <laughs> I would think about it, but uh, you took it as a sign. I love it. Let's talk about the title. I mean, every author has a way, some, I, I've talked to many people, some people have the title right from the beginning, it's ready to go. But Dancing in the Narrows is very unique. How did you come, how did you land on that? It, it actually wasn't my first title. My first title was The Chrysalis and the Butterfly Goddess. So oh. that, that wasn't working. I mean, I was making a whole thing about the butterfly because there's a butterfly story in the beginning. Yeah. Right. Um, but then I had to shorten it and really change it. And so dancing is a big part of my growth in my life. And, um, and then this whole thing was a very narrow place that we went through and we came out of. And 
in the book, in one of the chapters, you'll read about the Narrows, which is an actual place in Zion National Park, mm -hmm. where I challenged myself to trek in the Narrows, which is actually trekking in the river of a slot canyon with these huge 2,000 foot walls on either side. And mm -hmm. you know, I, I was so uh, overwhelmed with being a caretaker and the daily traumas of what was happening, I kind of needed to reconnect to myself mm -hmm. and I had to get out there and breathe fresh air and get in the water and, you know, uh, trek through something magnificent. And so that, that is part of the title. And it's actually, it's actually in the butterflies, the Narrows mm -hmm. Canyon. So, that was brilliant on the part of the uh, She Writes Press uh, cover design. Your publisher, that's brilliant. Anna, you end your book with an invitation to readers. Uh, you call it transformation through creation. And if you don't mind, I'll take everyone through these four steps. Dear readers, let's build a community of creativity, healing, and inspiration. Here's my invitation to you. Step one, create a piece of art, a dance, a song, or a poem about your own transformational journey. Number two, when you feel complete, take a photo or a video of your creation. And step number three, post it on social media with the hashtag transformation through creation, all lowercase, and tag Anna Penenberg author. Last but not least, tag a friend in the comments and invite them to join the transformation through creation community. That is so unique and so wonderful and linked to your journey, but but linked to what I think you and Dana discovered was a solution, at least a way of coping and moving forward in your life. I think it's brilliant. Thank you. And so that is in the back of Anna's book, as well as many links for resources around uh, Lyme disease, if you're interested. And uh, do you have anything you'd like to close with Anna today? Just want to say thank you so much for having me. And uh, the importance of my story is really just all of us human beings really needing to feel hope and inspiration in our lives with all the challenges that we have. And we are, of course, in a time right now where there are rather large challenges that we collectively are experiencing. And so uh, stay in community and uh, keep creating. Beautiful. Uh, we're collectively experiencing and we certainly are problem solving like we never have before. <laughs> uh, and you've already experienced that for many, many years in your life. So uh, kudos to you. And thank you again for joining us today, Anna. Thank you so much. And next week's guest is going to be Dr. Lisa Porter, one of our cancer researchers renowned across Canada. And on that note, have a healthy and safe day, everyone. Thanks for listening. For more episodes learning from people who are steering us in the right direction, visit lynnmclaughlin.com or subscribe to this podcast feed.